Hello and welcome to the People Powered Green Left Podcast, where we give a voice to the 99% of not the big corporations. If you think this project is important, please consider becoming a supporter today. Now, on to our latest episode. For this episode of Green Left, we are going to be having a discussion with twice-elected Socialist Councillor Sue Bolton, who is currently running for re-election for the upcoming council elections in Victoria, and is bringing together a, a team of community independents and social alliance members, um, no, and it's called Sue Bolton Moreland Team. For this episode... We talked um, with, um, with Sue about her record of council, what are some of the political issues that are painting this upcoming council elections, and what is the impact of the COVID-19 pandemic, and, what it, and a bit more about the election platform she is running on. And, of course, a reflection on her record as a socialist councillor in Moreland. Yep, hope you enjoy the, the program. Yeah, I guess... Um, Okay, we have Sue Bolton on the line right now for this program of Green Left. First kind of question that I want to sort of ask is, just for listeners' information, I guess, can you give us a bit of a background on um, these council elections? Like, what are some of the general issues that are going to be coming up this kind of council election? And then maybe we'll talk a bit about what you're standing for and what is kind of the platform you're kind of running on. Well, I think there is... um a big democratic rights issue that's going to, and a privatisation issue that's likely to be coming up. Uh, some one of the decisions before the council elections happens this um, this year, and other decisions likely to come up during the term of this coming council. Um, one issue that is coming up uh, is a belief of the current council that if you provide developers with incentives they will provide good development. And the incentive that the council is offering up is people's right to be notified and be able to object um, to development. And the the two things they've got, one is uh, what they call a design excellence scorecard, um, removes the right of councillors to be able to vote on a development and puts the decision totally in the hands of the council officers. And the first time this was implemented in Moreland, it's only meant to be a trial, and the council is due to vote on this before the uh, before the council elections. Um, the residents are hopping mad because um, the issue of design excellence is quite subjective. It's not an objective thing. And often the people who live in an area are the ones who are expert in knowing how the area area works in the same way that workers on the job are the experts in how the job is functioning. And so this um, removes a democratic right, um, but also the council is planning to remove residents' right to be notified or to be able to object to... Um, you know, two dwellings on a lot in the name of good design again. And really this is, um, you know, I mean, probably the council and some people would say this is all just NIMBY stuff, um, not in my backyard, blah, blah, blah. But it is an important democratic right in a community that the community has the right to say. And this is happening at the same time the Scott Morrison government is working out a way of cutting, so-called cutting red tape and cutting green tape. 
And you need to be wary about cutting red tape and cutting green tape because usually what that means is removal of the community's right to have a say over a project, um, whether it be on environmental grounds or all sorts of grounds. So I think we have to be opposed to any removal of residents' rights. The other service that the council provides, which is on the chopping block for this next council term, not just in Moreland, in other councils as well, and hasn't really been reported very much, is um, councils in Victoria, most of them run a home care service. Um, and as part of the deal in 2012 between federal and state governments and the local government association in Australia, um, they agreed that in return for uh, state governments funding NDIS, that the federal government would take over the home care services and fully outsource it and privatise it along the lines of NDIS so that it would be, like NDIS, a voucher-run service um, where there's no actually funded service by any kind of government body. Um, this is a ma massive problem, and I think we've seen problems in the NDIS with this model, and COVID-19 shows us that this casualised model is problematic because there is now starting to be COVID in these um, privatised sectors. Um, what the, so at the moment, with the council-run service, um, you have a stable workforce um, with a reasonable income, um, and union conditions. Um, if this is um, allowed to be, if councils are able to get away with dumping this service and it to become a fully outsourced um, voucher model, then it means that people who receive home care will get a different carer every time because it'll be a totally casualised workforce and the workers will lose up to half their income uh, and they won't have stable, they uh, they won't have a permanent set of uh, clients um, where they can build up a rapport with people. It'll be different. They'll be caring for a different person each time. And because that is the record of the NDIS, um, being a totally casualised workforce um, and a cut in pay for people who move from government services to um, NDIS services. So, that is something which um, our team, which is a mixture of social science and community independence, is totally opposed to privatisation, and we want to try and save this council service, the home care service, and we support democratic rights of residents. Those aren't the only issues, but those are a couple of them. Um, let me know if you'd like me to talk about some of the other issues. Yeah, well, I might get into that soon, but I guess, I mean, the other kind of question I want to kind of ask relates to another kind of context for this kind of upcoming council election. And this is sort of not, hasn't really been widely reported in the media, but, you know, the Victorian state government under Labor has implemented a sort of reform uh, to the Local Government Act that essentially means that a lot of councils will be single-member wards, which basically mean, just for listeners' information, most councils in Victoria are generally multi-member wards, which means you elect uh, three to four people within one sort of electorate sort of area, and generally councils are split up into sort of three electorate areas. The single-member ward will basically mean that local councils will be split into eight electorate areas where only one gets elected in each of those eight electorate areas. And, of course, 
that has the impact of reducing potentially um, potentially reducing progressive and left wing voices on the local council and hegemonizes um, the Labor Party, who are essentially kind of wanting to sort of retake the local councils uh, from the Greens. Um, so I guess, I mean, want to hear kind of your comments for that particular context um, for this coming council election. Well, what this proposal to shift all councils to single-member wards for the next election, next council election, it would be like scrapping the Senate and just having House of Representatives. And as we can see, um, it has been a lot easier for alternative parties to get a leg, um, a leg in or a foot in in the Senate, uh, whereas it's very, very difficult for independents or alternative candidates um, or alternative parties, be they right or left, to get elected in a House of Representatives seat. Um, the Greens have really only managed to um, gain one um, House of Representatives seat. Um, and it's because that it's not based on proportional representation, so that in the House of Representatives you could win, um, you know, 20% of the votes but not have any, not win a seat. Uh, across the whole country. And it's also the reason why um, you can have, um, say, the Liberal Party government in a range of federal elections getting a minority of votes but becoming the government. Um, so it's um, it doesn't reflect the proportion of support within the community, um, whereas um, the proportional representation system is a much better reflection of people's political viewpoints. And so that's why it is, um, it is, uh, much more advantageous to the major parties, not just Labour, Liberal Party as well, because there's certain, um, certain parts of Melbourne where the councils are Liberal Party dominated. Um, so it will advantage both Liberal and Labour having single member wards. Um, and the reason for the Labor Party wanting this, I mean, of course, they would never admit this, but is that they want to retake the inner city councils um, back from the Greens because I think the Greens did establish um, or have established quite a big base of support on the inner city councils of Moreland, Yarra and Darabin. Um, and, and, you know, they've got... Um, some representation on a whole bunch of other councils as well, uh, but it's probably uh, their most influential on the three inner city councils. And I think the government has realised that that um, helped them get Adam Band elected to the lower house. Um, so the Labor Party is trying to um, take back the inner city from the Greens. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess the next kind of thing I want to talk to you, because before we go on to talking about, I guess, your election platform, I guess I want to hear a bit of reflection, because you are you are a twice-elected um, councillor and you were have been elected as an open socialist, as a member of Socialist Alliance uh, for the local council. I want to hear, I guess, a bit about your kind of reflection of experiences on your intervention on local council in terms of how you have attempted to push a sort of socialist um, left-wing kind of agenda and also kind of reflecting, responding, I guess, to the more kind of conservative notions of council, which argues that um, council should only deal with the three R's, which is rates, rubbish, 
And I forgot actually what the Rhodes. one. Roads, yes. Yeah, Roads, Roads and Rubbish. So I kind of want to hear your kind of comments, I guess, on that. Well, I think, first of all, council is a massive bureaucracy and councils are very neoliberal, like other sections of government. And probably most of the top bosses or top bureaucrats in council wouldn't be there if they weren't committed to or at least um, acquiesced to a neoliberal agenda. And what you also notice is that each level of government um, has level, has agreements with other levels of government where um, money for this or that project is dependent on um, either, you know, partnerships with private enterprise or um, even if it might not be a direct relationship with private enterprise, um, partnerships with um non-government organisations like welfare groups, etc. Um, but basically, um, councils don't deliver all of the services. And some councils, I believe Mornington Council, actually has delivers very few projects itself. It's almost like uh, a manager of contracts. Almost everything is contracted out and they just manage the contracts. So it's there's been... Uh, the, the impact of 30 or 40 years of neoliberalism has shown its mark on local councils. And as a socialist entering that space or even and, and someone else who's progressive, it is very hard to operate in that environment. It, um, but the, so it means that when you're sort of putting things forward or arguing for things or against things, you really need community campaigns. You're not going to be able to shift the bureaucracy or the other councillors unless there are community campaigns that start to break that apart. And it's also really important, I think, for um, left-wing councillors, socialist councillor, to not just listen to information that comes through um, council bodies, council um, bureaucrats, but also look for outside sources of information um, so that you not just um, you don't you not just towing the line uh, towing the line that comes out of council because sometimes the, the information that comes from council um, is you know angled in a certain direction to get certain decisions made to persuade councillors that that's the only way you can do do something such as privatisation of home care or whatever it is. Um, so you, yeah, so councillors, like a socialist councillor or an activist councillor, you need to help the community <laughs> with community campaigns and provide information to people with a view to um, people campaigning for their rights because often councils or governments are making decisions that no one in the community knows um, knows anything about. They're not aware that their rights are being stripped away until they go to use those rights and suddenly they discover they're gone. So that's why um, I've been involved in a lot of community campaigns and uh, and that has meant I have won some things on council. And there is an argument put up by the right wing to say council shouldn't be involved in other issues, they should just be involved in roads, rates and rubbish. Um, those are the things that council controls. But actually, the council doesn't actually fully control roads, rates and rubbish. Um, 
the council is influenced by federal and state policies. Some roads are owned by the state government, some are owned by the federal government. Um, so the council doesn't. So there's certain things that the council has no control over, um, such as say Sydney Road, the main road going through um, going through Moreland. Um, that's a state government road. Um, the council can't change a thing on that road without the state government agreeing to it. It can lobby state government, but it um, can't actually just go and do the work. So it's a total furphy because also you notice with the right wing that the right wing are totally happy to move motions on things that don't relate to roads, rates and rubbish when it suits them, you know, whether it be around Anzac Day or supporting the police. So recent, at a recent council meeting, I um, moved a motion um, supporting anti-racism, supporting Black Lives Matter movement and, call, and calling for uh, anti-racism banner to be restored to um, Moreland, uh, to Coburg Town Hall. And um, one of the other conservative councils countered with a motion in support of the police, saying what a wonderful job the police do and blah de blah de blah. I mean, this is a councillor who talks about council just making decisions about roads, rates and rubbish. So when it suits them, the right wing roll out that argument. But when it doesn't suit them um, and they, you know, they don't have much of an argument, they, they raise that question that council shouldn't, get involved with climate change or supporting refugees or whatever. But the reality is um, there are a lot of refugees living in the Moreland community and um, we've, but we've also got, we've got an obligation to support refugees um, who are living in our community. Um, and we also know that um, sometimes local councils can be a force for change. So if you can start to win over local councils on some issues, it can start to put a lot of pressure on state and federal government, which is why state and federal governments want councils not to take up other issues. And in Moreland, um, the fact that Moreland and Yarra councils took um, positions and funded legal challenges against the East-West Link um, actually um, helped back the, the community action campaigns on the ground, like tunnel picket and, and all the protesting on the ground, the two things together help defeat the east-west link. Um, and so the, the, the federal and state governments know that if, um, that when councils support a community campaign, it can put a lot of pressure on state government to change its course of action or federal government. Um, and because they know that local councils, it is easier for the community to influence uh, and win things at the local council level than state and federal government. Yeah, I, I want to hear, I guess, can you tell us, I guess, reflecting on sort of your years of being a councillor, can you, I guess, tell us about your kind of record and some of your achievements um, as a socialist uh, elected in on the Moreland Council? Well, I mean, I've certainly, I think one of the things that is important um, is that you have to take up the everyday issues that affect people as well as bigger issues. Um, in the same way that a union delegate, if they're a good union delegate on the job, you actually have to take up 
little things that might, or seemingly little things, it might not be little for the person experiencing them, um, you have to take up the basic issues on the job um, as well as the bigger issues of industrial relations and enterprise bargaining campaigns and other issues. You have to take up those um, seemingly little issues um, in order to win some credibility that you're, um, you know, you, you're worthwhile. And so it is important as a socialist activist that you take up issues from which might be to do with pedestrian safety and traffic calming and stuff like that, as well as some bigger social issues, um, because some of those issues can actually have a real impact on people, including, you know, people dying as a result of, um, a dangerous traffic situation. So, um, you know, so I've taken up issues from, um, you know, winning pedestrian crossings and so forth, which doesn't sound like a big deal, but every single one of those pedestrian crossings that I've won have required community campaigns to convince um, the state government and the council that these were um, dangerous crossings which needed um, which needed safe um a safe pedestrian crossing. So I've done things like that. Um, I've also managed to win some facilities um, for the community, like in, in Faulkner, um, with playgrounds and um, and um, a, bill, uh, a second venue for the Faulkner Community House. So I've done some things like that. And then I've also campaigned against a toxic site in Faulkner, against development of that site, um, which was the site of New Farm Chemicals, manufacturing Agent Orange chemicals in the 60s and early 70s. And the site is still contaminated with dioxin, which lasts for uh, decades and decades and decades. And the site is still um, heavily contaminated and there's never been a proper official investigation of that site and the cancers as a result of that site and birth defects as a result of that site. Um, and we didn't, while we didn't win, win that issue at VCAT, we did manage as a result of the community campaign to shift the council from regarding me and the community as a laughing stock for being concerned about the site, um, to, um, we managed to shift the council to a 100% unanimous decision against development of that site. And that meant that a whole lot of information about that site has been revealed to the community and there are some extra safeguards, but that's an issue which has still got to be won. Um, I've sort of, I've campaigned around um, climate issues on council and uh, one of the issues which is going through council now is I won a position for council's procurement policy to not, in, not, um, give contracts to companies that uh, that invest in or have contracts with new coal mines, whether that be Adani or something else. Now, the implementation of that will um, is something which has to be voted on by council and there are some moves afoot to try and get out of that. So that's sort of something which um, I've been able to do. So I've um, really heavily focused on a lot of climate issues on council and particular trying to get the council out of 
sheeting with carbon offsets, investing in carbon offsets, and instead trying to move towards 100% renewable energy and end its use of fossil fuel. Um, so those those are some things, and also trying to get the council. Um, and to some extent, I've been successful with this, not fully, but to some extent, to get the council to um, support, give some support to community groups like Extinction Rebellion and other sort of climate groups. Um, there, one of the other things which I was involved in and I was working with the Greens on this was to get Moreland Council to not recognise the 26th of January as Australia Day. Um, and that if I hadn't had contacts within the Aboriginal community and tried to mobilise some of the anti-racism movement and um, people within the Aboriginal community, that motion would not have got up um, because I think the Greens just really, you know, were putting it up as a de- debating point in the council chamber. And then I real- suddenly realised, actually, there's been no um, discussion with the Aboriginal community. And so I managed to make a whole lot of contacts within the Aboriginal community and we got a letter to the council from the Wurundjeri from the Wurundjeri Council saying they wanted council to stop recognising um, 26th of January as Australia Day. And um, and that letter from the Wurundjeri and the intervention by some Aboriginal elders on the night um, overcame um, council opposition to um, not recognising the 26th of January as Australia Day. Now, the council didn't go the next step of ceasing to hold citizenship ceremonies on that day, but the policy still holds that um, council does not recognise that day as Australia Day, so there's no references in council to 26th of January being anything other than just simply the date. Um, I mean, there's some other things as well, but those... um, uh, uh, some key things, including stopping the sale of the Ballot Maroop Aboriginal school site um, to developers, which means that there is the possibility of building and creating a First Nations community hub on that site. Hmm. Yeah, thanks for that, um, I guess, Sue. And I guess what next kind of question I want to ask is, well, I think it would be appropriate to sort of have a bit of a quick discussion um, about the COVID-19 kind of pandemic. What has, I guess, your response to it been as a councillor and what is the more, what has the Moreland Council been, been doing and not doing, I guess, in terms of serving the interests of ordinary people living in Moreland? who are impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I think the council, like other levels of government, has been forced to act to some degree. Um, And, you know, they they have sort of developed some grant programs and so forth uh, and invested in grant uh, programs for community groups and businesses. Um, But they, I am critical of the Moreland Council response. So, sure, there has been uh, some response. I'm not saying there's been no response, but there has been an inadequate response, I think. Um, Moreland has been quite hard hit because there is a very high proportion of uh, Moreland residents who are artists, musicians and so forth. So, of course, anyone who is an 
um, musician or a performing artist has lost um, lost their income. Um, people have tried to do stuff online, and some people might have been successful or partially successful with that, but it really hasn't made up for what people have lost f- through that industry. So that's been a big um, a big section of people, especially in the southern part of Moreland, where a lot more of the um, musicians and artists are based in Moreland, have lost their income. Um, and then in the northern part of Moreland, there, there is a huge impact because the northern part of Moreland is, um, has the highest levels of unemployment in Moreland, um, the most, um, you know, the highest uh, number of um, recent migrants in Moreland, the highest amounts of food insecurity and, and people going without food um, at certain times of the year. Um, and the, so the northern part of Moreland was particularly hard hit because there are a lot of international students, um, especially from South Asia. There are a lot of migrants on temporary visas who, and, and so international students and migrants on temporary visas and asylum seekers are not eligible, were, were not eligible, um, for any kind of government supports, um, until the state government did bring in a grant for international students. Um, but I don't, I think that grant is not sufficient, but it's still at least something. And so the northern part of Moreland was really hit hard by the fact the casualization of work, um, and the lack of income support for people who are on temporary visas. Um, and of course, COVID doesn't, rec- rec- doesn't, uh, distinguish between whether you're on a permanent visa or a, or a temporary visa, um, as we know. Um, so, so the council, I believe, was in a, um, had the capacity to do some things. It couldn't resolve all of the issues, but it could have done some things like setting up a food bank where unlike a lot, the way a lot of food banks operate, it could um, have given uh, food to everyone who needed it. Uh, whereas a lot, the way a lot of food banks operate is that they only give food to people who um, have a Centrelink card, which of course excludes um, a whole bunch of people on temporary visas, asylum seekers, um, international students, etc., and you know some other people who might have lost work but um, not not applied to Centrelink because they feel embarrassed to apply for Centrelink or whatever. So council could have played a role there. I think Dandenong Council did play a big role with a big food bank, um, and so that was a lack. I had to also fight to get um, hand soap installed in public toilets, which seems, I mean. It should have been there anyway, even without a pandemic. But it's alarming that I had to fight to get hand soap in public toilets um, during a pandemic where um, COVID does spread from touching um, touching the virus on, on surfaces. Um, and so, th- yeah, th- but the food bank in, in particular is one of the things that the council could have done. Um, the other thing is that in the midst of this pandemic, the government, ha- the council has increased rates by 2%, um, and that's with, that, with so many people losing their jobs. Now, one thing that I did manage to get through was that there be a concession uh, from council for pensioners and for people on Centrelink benefits. Um, but I think at this time when so many people, a lot of people um, 
had no wage rises even before the pandemic, let alone during the pandemic. So we're coming out of a period of low wages growth um, and no growth in Centrelink benefits, et cetera, over many, many years until we've hit this brief period of the pandemic. And so rates rises, um, rates have increased. Now, you know, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily you know, um, would be renting and not not affected by that decision. But it also could mean result in rents being increased in response to the rates rises. But a lot of people, you know, people, you know, you know, some people who um, are buying their houses from the banks um, will be, you know, will be at serious risk of homelessness because of unemployment, et cetera, as well from that decision. Yeah. Okay. Well, now the next thing I kind of want to ask you about is what can you tell us, I guess, about the election platform that uh, you and the class, the Sue Bolton Moreland team is kind of running on for this um, coming council elections? Well, our slogan is community need not develop agreed. And I guess uh, that's a variation on a slogan which Socialist Lights has run on in the past called, which is people before profit. And I think it sort of indicates that at the local council level, often the section of big business that people come up against the most is big developers, greedy developers, greedy developers that try and take the council for a ride and like to ride roughshod over the community. Um, And the other side of it being that the council should be focused on community need uh, rather than... um, rather than giving the developers a free ride. So that's why we've got that particular slogan. Um, so, yeah, it's in a sense it's a variation of people before profit. And so our um, platform has a, includes a whole range of things, in, including, you know, as I mentioned before, you know, opposition to privatisation, of any council's council services which have been privatised many years ago come back into council hands, such as the swimming, swimming pools and the waste service um, south of Bell Street, which is operated by a private company. We'd like to see those things come back into council hands. We're certainly opposed to the sell-off of public land along the waterways, um, and frequently the state government is trying to uh, sell off um, public land along the waterways and um, we want to keep council opposing the sell-off of that land and um, buying it back for the community so it can be community land in, in perpetuity if, if we can't stop the state government um, selling it off. Um, we want to keep, um, keep taking measures to combat um, extreme heat, both in terms of planting street trees but also... Um, also um, having some form of heat relief centres where people can go to cool off when there is extreme heat and they they can't get cool, people can't get cool in their own homes. Um, we want to see an improvement in public transport, especially the upfield line, where if you live north of Bell Street and especially live north of the uh, where the tram line ends, um, every time a train is cancelled, 
uh, a train is running late by six minutes, then that service gets cancelled and turned around at Cobeg Station, meaning that everyone north of the north of Bell Street loses out on trains, and that can mean that people can wait up to an hour at peak hour for a train, which can, has led to loss of jobs and um, missed medical appointments, missed exams, etc., for people, um, also uh, missed job interviews, etc. So, you know, we want to see an improvement in public transport. And um, there are also many other things as well. Those are some of them. We're certainly committed in terms of anti-racism, and certainly that's really a big key factor with with us. Um, We certainly want to try and force the council to um, both stand up against racism, but also... um, do more than it currently does in terms of supporting migrant communities and the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities, um, you know, whether it's through employment or um, other 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 forms of recognition. Um, and we also, um, we're certainly committed to not supporting rates rises above inflation because workers' wages are not rising above inflation. Um, and fee and, you know, we don't want to see fees, council fees for swimming pools, et cetera, increasing above inflation because we don't want, we want community facilities to be available for the community and it shouldn't be, um, only available for people who are rich enough to pay. Hmm. Well, thank you very much for that, I guess, Sue. And, um, guess the kind of next kind of question, kind of why do you have, I guess, any kind of final comments you'd like to make? Um, how can people get involved if they support um, what you stand for and so on? Well, I think if people um, are interested in getting involved, we've got a website and a Facebook page, and it's called Sue Bolton Moreland Team. And the reason it's um, focused around me isn't just because I've got a big ego, but just because... Um, because it is a team of both Socialist Alliance and Community Independence, and I'm the common link between the Community Independence and Socialist Alliance. Um, the Community Independence standing on the ticket um, uh, very much um, support all of the um, all of the policies that we've got that we're running on in the election. Um, the policies are totally consistent with what um, socialists should be running on in a, in a council election. Um, and so we'd like to invite people who um, would like to support us. We're running candidates in every ward in Moreland. Um, we're running myself and Megan Street in Northeast Ward, which covers from the northern tip of Brunswick all the way up through Coburg to Faulkner. Um, we're standing... Um, Pauline Galvin and Jacob, who's interviewing me at the moment in the South Ward, which is Brunswick. And we're standing Monica Hart, who has been a long-time activist, um, public transport activist, um, nowadays is a, a, a union delegate um, and works as a housing crisis worker. Um, she is standing in the Northwest Ward, which covers Glenroy, Pascoe Vale area. Um, so it would be great to have you involved because we do need a stronger socialist presence um, in the community in all sorts of campaigns and in the electoral sphere as well, whether that be state um, state elections or local council elections. And it is 
easier to get a socialist elected at a local council level. And I think that is important because then I think it can break people's fear or the misconceptions they've got about socialists, um, that socialists do have um, an answer to a whole lot of issues that are happening in society. We don't need to rely on a market-driven system. And, in fact, the market-driven system of um, focusing all decisions around private profit is what's brought us the aged care disaster, the quarantine hotel disaster, the Ruby Princess disaster, and all of these disasters around the handling of the coronavirus. So um, all over the world, not just in Australia. Um, and we need a system that's based on community need, not private profit. I hope you got a lot out of this episode. To continue producing shows like this, we need your support. Consider becoming a supporter for $5 a month, sharing this show on social media, and submitting your own stories. You can do all this at our website, greenleft.org.au.